The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. Here's to season three of Killer Destinations. Before we begin today's story, we have a favor to ask. As you guys know, Kathy and I both work and we're setting goals to increase the number of episodes to bring you guys more content. And there are two ways you can help us. Number one is Patreon. But if you can't do Patreon, please download every episode. You're only counted as a listener if you actually download. And it's what advertisers use to determine if they want to advertise with us. And I'll be honest, before I started doing a podcast, I never Never downloaded. downloaded. Didn't know to do it. Didn't know how important it was. And now I download some podcasts that I never actually listen to. (laughs) Just (laughs) Just to be a nice person. (laughs) Exactly. I know how important it is. Plus, once you download it and listen to it, you can delete it. That's what I do. I don't like having a lot of stuff on my devices. Same. So just download, listen, delete, and you guys are going to help us tremendously. We so appreciate you guys being loyal listeners. And honestly, too, it's your reviews that keep us going. Yes. Thank you so much for that. So download, listen, and review. Today's destination is Omaha, Nebraska. The city was established in 1854 after a treaty with the Omaha tribe opened the area for settlement. The name Omaha is a Native American word meaning treading against the current or wind. The city was developed along the Missouri River and during the 1860s and 1870s with the Union Pacific Railroad, it became a major industrial and transportation hub. In Omaha, you can stand in two states at once over the Missouri River. The Bob Carey Pedestrian Bridge, or the Bob as it's more commonly known, is a 3,000-foot bridge floating over the Missouri River. Straddling Bob's state line and taking a photo is called bobbing. According to several sites, the city of Omaha is one of the best places to raise a family in the United States. There are many opportunities for family time, including a zoo, a children's museum, a children's theater, and many parks and recreational areas. For adults, they also have a strong culinary scene and affordable neighborhoods. Over the past decade, the city's population has increased by almost 20%, and a population increase often leads to a crime increase. And in 2013, Omaha experienced a shooting spree that took place over the course of 10 days. And when the dust settled, the eyes of the city were focused on one family who had lived in Omaha for more than a century. This examination forced a public reckoning of the insidious nature of familial crime. We want to give a shout out to a young man named Ryan, who I'm not sure if he's aware of it, but I call him Nebraska Ryan because guess where he's from? But he did suggest this case and we really appreciate it. If anybody else has cases, let us know. But Ryan, this one's for you. Love you, Ryan. In the early morning hours of August 11, 2013, two men were found dead in Spring Lake Park in one of the city's historic neighborhoods. 
29-year-old Jorge Cajiga Ruiz and 26-year-old Juan Uribe Pena were found shot execution style inside a white pickup truck. Jorge was in the front seat and Juan was in the back seat. A police officer patrolling the area found the bodies. Eight days later, on August 19th, a man returning home from work noticed what looked like a pile of clothes just outside of his garage around 7 a.m. But when he took a closer look, he realized it was a dead body. During the 911 call, the man reported seeing what appeared to be two holes in the back of a hoodie and blood on the ground. The victim was 22-year-old Curtis Bradford, and he was well-known to Omaha police. As a teenager, he'd had run-ins with the law, and by the time he was 18, he was serving time in prison for burglary. His mom told police that since getting out of prison, he'd been trying to turn his life around and planned to start classes at a technical school in just a few weeks. Then, 10 days after Jorge and Juan were killed, and two days after Curtis was killed, another murder occurred. On August 21st, 911 dispatchers began receiving reports of gunfire around 2 a.m. from a neighborhood in northwest Omaha. When emergency responders arrived, they found 33-year-old mom of three, Andrea Kruger, shot at an intersection. She had been shot multiple times and was pronounced dead at the scene. Her car was found about 16 hours later, abandoned in an alley near a school. According to investigators, the perpetrators had made a feeble attempt to destroy evidence in Andrea's car by pouring gasoline inside and lighting a match. But because all of the windows were left rolled up, there wasn't any oxygen to fuel the fire, so it quickly fizzled out. Omaha police and Douglas County Sheriff's deputies realized all four of the shootings which were half of the murders that occurred in Omaha in August, were likely connected because all the victims had been shot in the head by a 12-gauge shotgun using deer slug ammunition. Eight days after Andrea Kruger was killed, authorities executed a warrant and arrested a man for making terrorist threats. A woman had accused him of threatening to kill her and her family, as well as threatening to send demonic forces to her mother's home. The man was identified in newspapers as 26-year-old Nico Jenkins. On the same day that Nico was arrested, four of his family members were arrested at the same time, his mother, two sisters, and his cousin. The mother and one of the sisters were arrested in connection with the terrorist threat allegation, and the other sister was arrested for criminal mischief. His cousin was arrested because police had allegedly seen her in store video buying ammunition, and she was a convicted felon, which precluded her from possessing ammunition. The day after the arrests, an article in the Omaha World Herald by journalists Alyssa Skelton and Roseanne Mooring provided additional information about Nico Jenkins' background. Court records concerning Nico's time in prison painted a picture of a young man with a volatile mix of mental illness and violence. While in custody, his behavior caused him to be moved to the Lincoln Regional Center for Mental Health Treatment. Other times, it caused him to be isolated in the segregation unit at the prison. The article revealed that just 12 days before the murders began in August, Nico had been released from prison after serving almost 10 years for two felony robbery convictions and the use of a weapon to commit a felony. Nico had a rap sheet dating back to when he was 14 years old and was sent to the Kearney Youth Center for an unknown offense. So is that juvenile hell? Correct. I do think it's funny that they've changed that 
Like putting lipstick on a pig doesn't change what it is. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a job a couple of years ago and I was sitting in an office with one of my coworkers and a guy came up to us and he said, did you hear that they don't call them juvenile delinquents anymore? They call them juvenile offenders. I hadn't heard that, but I said to him, oh, yeah, they actually started doing it seven years ago when studies showed that by taking the delinquent tag off of them and giving them the offender designation, it really made for a better experience in terms of serving their sentence and then being released back into the community. Did you just pull that out of your booty? I totally did. And he didn't know that. And he looked at me and he's like, wow, I didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, that's when it happened. And I looked at my coworker and I hadn't worked there that long. Like we're talking months. And I looked at her. I'm like, I have no idea. So she actually, after that, started calling me Jojo, the J-O for juvenile offender. But our boss at the time, his name was Joe, so she couldn't call me Joe. So ever since then, I've been tagged with the Jojo moniker. That's pretty funny. But I accept it. I appreciate that moniker. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> when Nico was 15 years old, he was incarcerated at the Kearney Youth Center, but was given permission to visit his family in Omaha, which was 200 miles away. While he was in Omaha, Nico carjacked and robbed a 21-year-old man at gunpoint. The vehicle was later found abandoned. And then a month later, he carjacked a 20-year-old woman at gunpoint after asking her for a ride at a convenience store. He actually, Kath, had gotten into the backseat of her car, pulled out a shotgun, and then ordered her to drive. And after they drove for several miles, he actually ordered her out of the vehicle and he drove off. But the vehicle was recovered two days later. I'm not sure how long this pass was that he was allowed to leave the center. I know. They're like, here you go. See you in eight weeks. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, or maybe he just hadn't gone back and was supposed to have, but he was captured after this and sent back to Carney. Two years after this, he assaulted an inmate at Carney. And then four years after that, now housed in an adult prison, the 18-year-old Nico tried to escape and assaulted a corrections officer. So along with several other serious infractions that happened at Carney which resulted in additional convictions in jail time, Nico's sentences added up to 18 to 21 years in prison. With his release in July 2013, his time served was essentially half of what he'd been given. When 26-year-old Nico Jenkins was released, sheriff's officials were so concerned about the threat his imminent release could pose that they emailed him hosted a bulletin at the Douglas County Courthouse. The bulletin featured Nico's photos and urged sheriff's deputies, security staff, and officials to be on the lookout for him. Most concerning to the authorities were erratic letters that he had written to two judges in the weeks before his release. Now, Kath, many of these letters were indecipherable, so I didn't really have a gauge of some of the drama they might have contained. But I thought it was funny that they sent pictures and all of that over of him because he had tattoos all over his entire face and neck. And so my thought was, is that if he actually had tried to get in the courthouse, he would have been easy to pick out. What do you mean his letters were indecipherable? The writing was so bad that they couldn't read everything oh, that was like in it. like just illegible. It's, illegible. It's not like he was saying crazy stuff. It was just unreadable. Yes. Got it. But authorities became concerned because Jenkins called himself a lethal warrior or something like that. And he closed the letter to one of the judges with something to the effect of, I will see you very soon. That had sheriff's deputies on alert and they wanted to make sure courthouse authorities kept an eye out for him. So, Kath, right now we have a 26-year-old man who already had a 12-year criminal record. So here we are in late August 2013, after the four murders had taken place and Nico had been arrested for making terrorist threats. At this time, the possibility of mental illness with respect to Nico was being discussed, but there was no resolution on the issue, and the court believed he knew right from wrong. Almost a week later, Nico was due in court on additional charges of being a felon in possession of two weapons. 
Instead, authorities booked him on suspicion of first-degree murder in the four August deaths of Jorge Juan Curtis and Andrea. During a press conference the next day, police revealed that the reason Nico was charged with the murders was because he made incriminating statements about the shooting spree during an interview with detectives. During questioning in relation to his terrorist threats allegation, Nico reportedly walked investigators through the August slangs in which the victims were shot in the head with ammunition typically used in deer hunting. Kath, it turned out that the reason they were talking to Nico about these murders is that before Andrea Kruger was killed, police had already started looking for these deer slugs. They started looking at local sporting goods stores for anybody who might have purchased them. There's only one store in the area that sold them. And when they looked at video of it, they saw a woman who was purchasing this ammunition. She was a cousin of Nico's. Knowing his background, they immediately suspected that he was involved. Omaha Police Chief Todd Schmatter told reporters that it was also during this questioning that detectives finally understood how the fourth victim, Andrea Kruger, was related to the first three August murders. Andrea Kruger's death appeared to be unrelated because the first two men who were killed were in a park after hours with women for naughty things. Right. (laughs) And then the second one, Curtis Bradford, was a known gang member and former felon. So according to Chief Schmatter, Nico said Andrea just happened to pull up behind him at an intersection on her way home from work. She was a bartender and she typically got off work at two in the morning. And Nico described for investigators being at a stoplight when Andrea's SUV pulled up behind him. He got out of the car, circled around to her driver's side door and pulled her from her car and threw her to the ground. As she pleaded with him not to kill her, he shot her in the head. Investigators were still trying to piece together who else might have been involved in the murder. Someone had to have helped Nico drive his car and Andrea Kruger's car away from the murder scene. As we mentioned earlier, Douglas County Sheriff Tim Dunning said that Andrea's death was as random as any in recent Omaha history. He said, I can tell you, Nico did not know her previously. It was also revealed during the press conference that of the four murder victims, Nico only knew Curtis Bradford. The two met while Curtis was serving a prison term for burglary. Just hours before Curtis was found shot to death, he and Nico had posed in a picture together, flashing gang signs, that Curtis posted on his Facebook page. Authorities didn't have a clear motive for Nico's actions. Chief Schmatter called Nico's actions a reign of terror. He said, Mr. Nico Jenkins was an indiscriminate killer who wreaked havoc on the Omaha community. As to why he did these things, we have no idea. And Kathy, you know, what's also interesting is that Nico was the second person arrested in Omaha in four months who had committed multiple murders. Who was the other person? He was a doctor. And you're going to hear about that on another case we do. Oh, okay then. (laughs) Surprise. I'm surprising Kathy too. (laughs) Everyone in Nebraska is probably like, we know who it is. (laughs) Exactly. But don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So while law enforcement released few details at the press conference, It was revealed what we had already told you, and that was detectives had scoured local hunting stores looking for somebody who had purchased deer slug ammunition. It was during this search that they found the video that authorities believed was Nico's cousin Christine buying the ammunition, and it was the very next morning that Andrea Kruger was killed with what authorities believed to be the same type of bullet. So while Nico was sitting in jail, the four other family members that we previously referenced 
were charged with allegedly assisting him. Foremost among them was his 23-year-old sister, Erica, before Nico's alleged killing spree. As we said earlier, Erica was arrested the same day as Nico, and when she was being booked into jail, she got into a scuffle with a male arrestee and as a result was booked on additional charges of suspicion of felony assault. This occurred when they were both sitting in the open admissions area where detainees sit after being booked and before they're placed in a cell. According to the Douglas County Incident Report, when the man Erica was talking to turned his back on her, she punched him and put him in a headlock, as one does. They both fell to the ground where they were separated by Douglas County Correctional Staff. The next day, Erica attacked another inmate. The incident report stated that a video showed Erica run toward the female victim and punch her before grabbing her hair. A corrections officer immediately grabbed Erica around her waist and tried to pull her away, but Erica held onto the victim's hair and tried again to hit her, but failed. Corrections officers were then able to get Erica off her and handcuff her. Six days later, Erica Jenkins appeared before a judge for an arraignment and bond hearing. As a result of her behavior in the jail with the two inmates, there were now two brand spanking new felony assault charges added to her original charge. But spending a week in jail had not improved her demeanor. When she appeared before the judge, Kath, she ranted and she was super mad because, you know, her bail had increased as a result of these charges. So she said, why do you keep effing with my bail? And the judge asked her if she wanted a muzzle. I'm sure that went over well. Exactly. And her response is, do you want an effing muzzle? <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> Standing in front of the judge, she was handcuffed with her hands in front of her, and she flipped the lectern over and started moving to the judge. Like, I'm not sure what she was going to do when she got there. Well, but you know how women are. <laughs> <laughs> we get pissed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, of course, the judge ordered her to be removed from the courtroom, you know, and the show ended. But according to an incident report, as she was being escorted back to her cell, she became mad. You know, so she's getting agitated with the deputy and she's complaining that she hadn't been fed. And one of the officers escorting her said the exact wrong words. He said, calm down. <laughs> when in the history of ever has that ever had the intended consequences? Never, never, ever, never, ever, ever. But you know how women are. <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> anyway, so she yells, Calm down, calm down. And then she kicked the officer. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. So he uses his body weight to push her against the wall to restrain her, and she head butted him. Can I'm you sorry, imagine? I shouldn't love that, but I do. She was acting like a like an English soccer player. <laughs> or a real housewife of some city. <laughs> Although they wouldn't do that because I would Housewives mess up their of Beverly Hills. But it would mess up their plastic <laughs> surgery, so they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Of course, for her troubles, she was charged with another count of third-degree assault on an officer. As she should have been. She had a really busy day, you know? She did. She must have been exhausted when she got back. She must have been. I hope she got food. <laughs> yeah, I hope she was fed after that. <laughs> Through like a cell wall with like nothing getting close to it, her. It'll, it'll be like, what's that movie with Jodie Foster where the guy's like... Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs, like the mask. Well, and Kath, on top of that, this isn't another courtroom hijink, but almost a week after this hearing, an additional charge was brought against her. Apparently, the day after Andrea Kruger was killed, 
This was the last of the four murders. Erica was accused of stealing a wallet, cash, and a cell phone from a car at a local gas station. There was a 26-year-old woman in the passenger seat of the car at the time, and Erica doused her in the face with pepper spray. And then at her second court appearance where she was formally charged with robbery, guess what she did? What? Nothing. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) She learned her lesson, maybe? She didn't say a single word. (laughs) There was a police officer there with a big Band-Aid on his nose, ready to fight her. (laughs) Just a week later, the number of Jenkins family members arrested for involvement in Nico's alleged August murder spree increased to six when police announced that they had arrested 51-year-old Warren Levering, who was Nico's uncle and the brother of Nico's mom, Lori. He was arrested on the Winnebago Indian Reservation as an accessory to Andrea Kruger's slaying. So, Kath, just to count the six for you, Nico's mom, Lori, sister Erica, sister Melanie, sister Lori, cousin Christine, and now Uncle Warren had all been arrested. You know, it's interesting because you hear the phrase generational wealth or generational trauma. Or generational welfare. Generational welfare, exactly. But you don't really hear about generational crime. We've talked about this before. It's like you take some of these criminals, if they had grown up in my family or your family, it would have been a completely foreign experience. If we would have been placed in their family, it would have been a completely foreign experience. But what you grow up with is what's normal. You don't know any better. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and you go to somebody's house and they do something differently than you do. And it's like, oh, they're weird. Yeah, they're weird. Yeah. You know, and it turns out actually you're the one who's weird, but you don't know it for 20 years. (laughs) Well, and you know, what's funny is growing up, my mom and my sister would verify this. She catered to my food choices because I didn't like mustard. I didn't like tomatoes. I didn't like blah, blah. So it was what I wanted because, you know, I am the youngest and that's what parents should do. Okay, my youngest sister would not ever say that ever, 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 (laughs) Because she had four older siblings who were all mean. (laughs) We weren't mean. (laughs) Yes, you were. No, we were not. We were wonderful human beings. Wonderful human beings. Terrorized her. But my mother definitely did not cater to our food Well, she can't too because there's five. Yeah, there there was too many people. Yeah. But anyways, when I went to other people's houses, their mothers were not so considerate. They were not. So... I actually started telling them that I was allergic to tomatoes so that they wouldn't make me eat them. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) And my mom backed me up. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is hysterical. Which explains my whole JoJo thing where I just make up stuff to make me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I remember when my mom, she would go to Chicago on trips and my dad was always, you know, he was always working, but he was always like, sure, go ahead, go visit your sisters or whatever. But he would try to... It's like he thought everything was organized. So he would come home and he would try to make meals. Okay. I will never forget this. This is the God's honest truth. He pulled out a can of chicken broth, thinking it was soup, boiled the chicken broth. And I said, I think that that is not soup. I think it's supposed to go in soup. But he was like, no, 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 it's soup. You're eating it. And then he opened a can of cream of corn and something else. I can't oh, I even, know you love corn. I can't even tell you what it was. And I kept saying, mom does not make me eat corn. I cannot stand corn. He does See, not, she did cater to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, she she didn't. No, she did not. She just didn't make me eat the things that made me vomit. So catering. Yeah. So my dad's like, eat it, eat the corn. And it was cream corn. And I oh. like, so I just like. <laughs> I like corn. I don't like cream I corn. I like choked like maybe three bites down and I felt it coming back up. So I go, I go running. I vomit on the kitchen floor on the way to the bathroom. Did you slide in it? And I was totally like, <laughs> exactly. I was like, 
I told you mom didn't make me eat this. But it was like, he always had really like janky meals when oh, my totally. mom was in Chicago. Well, your dad doesn't even cook now. Well, he cooks breakfast. Anyway. So what was interesting is Kathy and I are having the same thought about generational crime. The staff at the Omaha World Herald had the same thought. And so two of their writers, Roseanne Mooring and Alyssa Skelton, looked at court records, other public records, their own newspaper files, and did family interviews to kind of give people a glimpse into what the Jenkins family history was like. So we're just going to go through this quickly, but we thought it was really interesting. And I think it's important, and you think it's important, I know, I don't think I'm speaking for you. I mean, I am, but not without your consent, (laughs) that it shines a light on a lot of what happens. Right. So Nico's great-great-grandfather was a man named Levi Levering. He was born about 1860, and he was a respected leader of the Omaha tribe, and he was the first Native American commissioner to the Presbyterian General Assembly in 1911. At the time, an article in the Omaha World Herald lauded his selection and said, quote, the Presbytery knew what it was doing when it chose Mr. Levering as a man better qualified to represent it would be hard to find, end quote. And Kath, when I was looking at the newspaper articles, the photo of him that they had was so regal. And distinguished. Yes. He, yes. he had a full Native American headdress on and he just looked like a respected elder. Yeah. Yeah. Then it all went to hell. It all started with Mr. Levering's son, Lincoln, who was Nico's great grandfather. He was accused of fatally beating a man in Omaha after the man's friend made a racist comment in a bar. So, like, if I say something naughty, do you get beat up? <laughs> naughty? <laughs> nope, that'd be my sister. <laughs> I duck and weave, duck and weave. Yeah. <laughs> He was then accused of pushing his wife off a second story balcony, breaking her back. Now, he never served time for this because he actually died just a few months later after being hit by a car. And then his wife died soon after. Lincoln's daughter, Nico's grandmother, was 17 when both of her parents died. She married a man named George Jenkins and all of the progeny kept his name. Grandma Norma was convicted of robbery in her early 20s, shot at the age of 31, but lived and then became the mother of nine. So now we go to Nico's mom, Lori, who was one of those nine children. She had her first child when she was 16, and her boyfriend, David McGee, was 31. Ooh, Yeah, I had that same thought. McGee was the father of four of Lori's five children, including Nico. In 1997, at the age of 30, Lori was convicted of eight nonviolent crimes and one felony shoplifting charge. She had worked as a nurse's assistant and telemarketer before being charged as an accessory in three of the August homicides for which her son was accused. Nico's father, David McGee, was convicted of a 1978 manslaughter, but his conviction was later set aside. But then he was also accused of beating, stabbing and shooting a man in 1998. Nico's uncle, Warren Levering, who was arrested as part of the Andrea Kruger case, grew up in foster care after being given up for adoption but met up with his sister Lori, Nico's mom, when he was 16, and the two stayed in contact after that. But Kath, he had served prison sentences in several states for dangerous felonies before eventually being charged with Andrea Kruger's murder. Nico's cousin Christine Bordeaux, she's the one charged with purchasing the ammo used in the murders, is a first cousin of Nico's mother Lori. She has been convicted of nearly 30 crimes, including three felonies. But Kath, all of this criminal history has trickled into Nico's generation. According to this newspaper account of his family tree, of the 12 cousins they included in Nico's generation, only one does not have a criminal record. 
The one non-criminal cousin's father was actually the eldest of the siblings of which Nico's mother is a part. So he was the oldest of nine. He was actually given up right after he was born to a cousin who did not have anything to do with his family and did live away from the rest of them. So there was no interaction. So this one law-abiding cousin is an accomplished entrepreneur and married to a doctor with whom she has five children. Then the final thing that this family tree in the Omaha World Herald showed was that not living in good circumstances, Nico had access to a gun, and at age seven, he took this gun with him to school. As a result, he was taken from his mother, which was the beginning of two decades in and out of group homes, juvenile detention, and state prison. This poor kid didn't have a chance. None of them did, really. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, people have really bad childhoods and don't always turn out badly. Mostly don't turn out badly. Right. You know? But when it's this insidious, I can't imagine that it's an easy thing to overcome. I liken it to somebody saying to you, you go be a criminal. It would be antithetical to your nature to be a criminal. Correct. The same way it would be antithetical to little Nico, who grew up in this family of, you know. Crime. Yeah, exactly. To become a doctor, you know. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither, (laughs) despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone, and so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German, and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall, and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. So now that we have the family history, getting back to the four murders that took place in August of 2013, we're going to focus on Nico's sister, Erica, the one who likes to fight. (laughs) (laughs) And don't ever tell her to calm down. Do not tell her to calm down. And you better damn well give her food when she's hungry. Erica, as we said in the beginning, was initially charged with criminal mischief, then the assaults, and now she is charged with first-degree murder. She was accused of helping her brother kill 22-year-old Curtis Bradford, the known gang member, who was the third person who was killed in August. And he was the person that Nico had met in prison. Authorities believe that Erica and Nico set up Curtis on a pretense that all of them were going to get together and do a burglary together. You know, like, how we do we do how we do how we do it's a friday night what else would you do on a friday night (laughs) law enforcement officers knew there were two shooters because curtis suffered two bullet wounds to his head one from a 12 gauge deer slug and the other from a smaller caliber bullet they also believe that there were multiple people involved in the other murders in response to the charges erica told the judge How can they charge me with murder? I'm not a murderer. I'm three months pregnant. Does that preclude you from being a murderer? I think it does. Okay, good to know. Yeah. That same day, Erica and Nico's younger sister, Lori, was charged with being an accessory to Curtis's murder as well. And detectives allege that she was the one who got rid of one of the guns used to kill him. 
Kath, when the judge denied Erica bail, she replied, F you very much. (laughs) She really did go to the top of the class in charm school. Definitely. Four days after Erica was charged with murder, a federal judge dismissed the charges against Nico's cousin, Christine. This is the one who was arrested for being a felon in possession of ammunition. And she was the one believed to be in the video buying the deer slugs. The U.S. Attorney's Office would not say why the federal charges were being dismissed. However, she still faced state charges in Douglas County that included making terrorist threats and shoplifting. Just over a month after Nico and his family members were arrested, an article in the Omaha World Herald by journalist Todd Cooper shined a light on the utter senselessness of the four murders. At a preliminary hearing for Nico Jenkins, Douglas County Sheriff Sergeant John Pankinen testified that according to Nico, Andrea Kruger was a random target for a random reason. On the night she was killed, Nico and several of his family members were looking for a car with which they could commit carjackings. Having just been released from prison, Nico needed money and had the idea that they could rob and carjack concert goers at the Lil Wayne concert. He and his family believed that people with money were in town for the concert and believed they'd make the perfect targets. Sergeant Pankinen testified that the Jenkins cousin, Christine, was cooperating with authorities. And Kath, this was the first time the family heard about it. And they were unhappy is the best word I can use without using a lot of swear words. (laughs) Without going all Erica on me. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I've got a table I can flip right here. (laughs) But we got to move the drinks. So Sergeant Pankinen testified that Christine, Nico, Erica and Uncle Warren were in a Ford Taurus looking for someone to carjack. Erica was driving, Christine was in the front passenger seat, and Nico and Uncle Warren were in the back seat. Now, according to Christine, the reason they didn't want to keep driving this Taurus was because it was registered to one of Nico's girlfriends. This is not the girlfriend he was accused of making terrorist threats on, nor was it his wife, nor was it his other girlfriends. Nico was a busy guy. He really was. Women need to just be a little bit more discriminating in the world and everything would be better. (laughs) And as they were sitting in this car at a stoplight, this was when Andrea Kruger drove up behind them. And we already talked about this a little bit. Nico and Uncle Warren jumped out of the car, rushed to Andrea. And when Nico pulled her out and threw her to the ground, Andrea screamed, no, no, please don't. Nico actually shot her four times, twice in the head, once in the neck and once in the shoulder. During this preliminary hearing, Douglas County Public Defender Tom Riley spoke to the claims that Nico was mentally ill and had several times requested mental health treatment while in prison. Omaha Police Detective Dave Schneider testified that in his confession, Nico apparently did not act like robbery was a motive. Rather, he told detectives that the killings were sacrifices that he made to an Egyptian serpent demon god he called Apophis. At one point, he even told Detective Schneider that he had been suffering from chronic headaches and the only way to make the headaches go away was to sacrifice people to this demon god. According to Detective Schneider's testimony, it was Nico's cousin Christine who filled in the details for police on the robberies and the murders. She obviously turned state's evidence, and according to the testimony, on the evening of August 10, 2013, which was the night of the first two murders, Nico suggested that Christine and his sister Erica should lure men to a place where he could then rob them. Christine and Erica went to a nightclub to find some men Nico can rob, but in the parking lot, they were approached by a couple men in a pickup truck who asked if the two women wanted a party. 
So Christine and Erica got into the truck and the men drove them to an apartment in Omaha. So once inside, they were kind of partying and Christine says, hey, do you guys have any money? And one of the men was like, don't worry, we're going to have another friend come bring his money. And he has up to $1,000. Erica went into the bathroom and called Nico and said, hey, they've got cash. And about 30 minutes later, Christine and Erica left the apartment with these two men to buy more alcohol and to supposedly pick up another woman. Well, they had the third guy who'd gone to get cash. They got to make it even. You know what? You raise a very fine point. Thank you. Fair is fair. This was part of the lady's plan to get the men out of the apartment to go to a store so Nico can rob them. The men wind up driving to a local park instead. And unbeknownst to the men, Nico was following them. So, you know, they drive to a park. They stop the truck. Nico, of course, comes up with his gun, knocks on the window of the pickup to try to rob him. Christine and Erica get out. Nico demands money, then shot them and took their wallets. And so, Kath, what happens is that one of the victims had a cell phone underneath his body. So the cops see it and they're scrolling through. They see that this one particular number has called a number of times that night. The police call it and the guy, you know, they say, you know, whatever, who is this? And you have my friend's phone and blah, blah, blah. Well, the police wind up identifying through this individual that they're speaking with that the victims are Juan Uribe Pena and Jorge Cahiga Ruiz. And this third man, his last name was Martinez, tells detectives that he and his buddies met these two women and they were going to go party. And he left the apartment to go get money for the fun they were about to have. And after leaving the apartment, Martinez received a call from Juan saying, hey, we're leaving. We're going to go find a third female friend. After that, Martinez tells detectives like he tried calling several times but received no answer. After this conversation, detectives break it to him that his two friends had been killed. In the third murder, this is the murder of Nico's friend Curtis Bradford, it was disclosed at the preliminary hearing that Nico and Erica met up with Curtis after telling him that the three of them were going to commit a robbery together. But when they met up, Nico and Erica shot and killed him. According to their cousin Christine, who again turned state's witness, Erica was mad at Nico because he fired first and stole her first kill. The motive for that killing remained unknown. As to the video showing the purchase of the deer slug ammunition, Detective Schneider testified at this preliminary hearing that when they looked at surveillance photos from the store, they thought the woman who purchased the ammo was cousin Christine. However, it turned out to be Nico's mom, Lori. And Kath, the reason they didn't know this at first is that the woman in the video had very long, dark hair. But by the time investigators spoke with Lori, she had cut her long hair very, very short. And I know you've seen pictures of it. After all of the evidence was presented, the judge ordered Nico to stand trial on the four first-degree murder charges. The same day, Nico's uncle Warren was charged with first-degree murder in the death of Andrea Kruger. In April of 2014, this is eight months after Nico was arrested for the murders, he entered a plea of no contest to all four of his first-degree murder charges, with his attorney stating that even though his physical person may have been in the act of these things, he was not in that moment because of his psychosis condition of psychotic mania. The court accepted his plea of no contest and convicted him of all four murders. Now, as we've talked about, Kath, there were numerous issues in hearings regarding Nico's competency because of the mental health issues. 
But in May of 2017, this is now more than three years after Nico pleaded no contest to the murders and almost four years after the murders happened, a three-judge panel entered a 30-page sentencing order. The panel found two mitigating factors to be considered, Nico's bad childhood and his mental health, stating that he had a personality disorder of narcissistic, antisocial, and borderline. That's a trifecta, man. The panel unanimously determined that Nico's commission of these four murders over a 10-day period was one of the worst killing sprees in the history of the state. The three-judge panel imposed a sentence of death for each of the four counts of murder in the first degree. And then Cathed also imposed consecutive sentences of 45 to 50 years imprisonment on all other counts. And I didn't see this specifically, but sometime in the three years between the plea to no contest and the sentencing, the state of Nebraska actually revoked the death penalty. And then in a voter referendum, it was put back on the books. No way. Yeah. Wow. You never hear that. No, you actually don't. I believe the reason they did these consecutive sentences on the other counts was should that happen again and there be some form of parole? Who knows what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He would still have up to 200 years left on the books that would need to be served in some form. To date, all of his appeals have been denied. Just over a year after the deaths of four people at the hands of her brother, Erica Jenkins was found guilty of robbery for the deaths of the two men in the pickup truck. After an enhancement hearing where the court found Erica to be a habitual criminal, she was sentenced to consecutive prison terms of 30 to 50 years on each of the two robbery counts. Separately, the lovely and comparable Erica (laughs) had to undergo a murder trial for the killing of gang member Curtis Bradford. This trial began in January 2015, 17 months after the killing spree that shocked the residents of Omaha. And Kath, here's what's crazy. She chose not to attend this murder trial where she's accused of killing Curtis Bradford. And so the reason she didn't want to, the reason she gave the judge, was that she didn't want to stay in the Douglas County Jail during trial. And I'm assuming that she just didn't want to feel like headbutting or getting hungry or whatever. She continued to cause problems at the jail before she was sentenced to prison, which not only included assaulting inmates, but corrections officers as well. And she would have had to stay at the jail for the duration of the trial with all of these people who no doubt had been plotting revenge. Yeah. So the judge actually offered to order her kept away from the correctional officers whom she'd assaulted. But she still said, no, thank you. She said, no, thank you. I'll just sit in prison. I think she said F off. During my murder trial. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure she was as delicate as we're making her out to be, but let's pretend. Yeah. So after a week of trial and four hours of deliberation, they found Erica in absentia guilty of first degree murder. And Kath, even two of her family members testified against her. They told the jury that Erica admitted killing Curtis and was upset that Nico took away her kill shot, as you had said earlier. For this conviction, she was sentenced to life in prison for murder, plus 80 to 100 years for the various weapons counts that she was also convicted of. Kath, remember in 2014, when she was charged with first-degree murder for the death of Curtis Bradford, she said, I'm not a murderer, I'm pregnant. Right, because pregnant people don't murder. Exactly. When she was in prison, she gave birth to her daughter in about mid-2014. The baby was taken and placed with foster parents. The father was an accountant and the mother was an elementary school teacher. However, the Douglas County Juvenile Court, which governs child placement in such cases as prisoners, ordered that the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services run background checks on Erica's family members to see if they could care for the child. 
Erica suggested to Health and Human Services that one of her sisters could raise the child. She had a sister, apparently, who lived in Las Vegas with the sister's mother. And so HHS workers vetted this woman and found her to be a suitable adoptive parent. And when a background check was conducted by Douglas County staff, they found that the sister was financially stable and had the desire, resources, and ability to provide a safe nurturing home to a child. So the baby was taken from the couple and given to the sister. Now, actually, the foster parents sued because they wanted the child. They didn't think that was the best place for the child. And it was actually, it went to the Nebraska Supreme Court, which is actually their appeals court. And they said, it's always in the best interest of the child to place them with the family if they can. You want to hear a horrible story? Always. As you know, my husband's in law enforcement. One of the hardest things he had to watch was, I cannot remember what the time allowed when you gave a baby up for adoption when you could change your mind. I don't remember what California's was back then. For some reason in my mind, it was six months. I don't do adoption, so I'm not sure what the number is. After a couple adopted a child, but before the period ran where the mother could take it back, and I'm telling you it was like two days, the mom changed her mind and she was a young teen and the judge ordered this couple to give back the child. So my husband was one of the people dispatched from the local law enforcement to just make sure everything went smoothly. And he said he could barely contain himself. This teenager did not have any car seat. So of course the couple was like, take our car seat. He said they were bawling their eyes out as they gave up this baby to this girl who may or may not have been equipped to take care of a baby. uh, He he said it was it was the most heart wrenching situation. So I can imagine in this situation where these two people like take in this baby and they're like, you love a baby. It doesn't matter where the baby comes from, what the baby looks like, who you are. You love the baby and, and you raise it like your own. So I can't imagine that would be so hard. So after Erica's sentencing for Curtis. And after the seven years tacked on for the assault on the corrections officers, Erica actually wasn't finished causing problems just yet. In July of 2021, a judge added 20 to 40 more years to her life sentence. Court records said that the now 29-year-old Erica was sentenced after being convicted of assault of a confined person. Prosecutors said Erica punched and used a padlock in a sock to beat her cousin, Christine while at the York Women's Prison, where they shared a cell briefly in 2016. How the holy hell did they get it? Like, did the cops put them in the same cell to try to elicit incriminating information? I don't think so. It it wasn't what I read, but it was one of those things where Erica went after Christine because she had snitched. Okay, but hold on. But this is after Erica knew that Christine had turned state's evidence. Correct. And they're stuck together in a cell. Correct. And in the court records that I found, Christine said the reason she didn't complain is that she was afraid that if Erica found out, she said, I don't want to be in a cell with her, Erica would get upset. Wow. But Erica got upset anyway. And when she was beating her, and it wasn't just Erica, they had another roommate. And apparently the roommate kept going in and out of the cell and would take turns beating Christine while Erica was continuing to do it. But do we know, Kath, do you know, like, this is, were they actually, like, cellmates? Yes. Or was there, oh my, that is insane to me. Three women in the cell, Erica and Christine were two of them. Unbelievable. So she's badly hurt. She had a concussion, a broken arm, a broken nose. But when she went to the prison hospital, she was like, no, no, I'm fine. No, no, nothing happened. No, no, nobody did this to me. All that kind of stuff. Eventually she was moved because they kind of figured out what was going on. But part of me wondered how it even happened in the first place. Like how there had to have been some desire for the prosecutor. I mean, I'm just, yeah. well, you know how we like to speculate. exactly, <laughs> And we do it well. It's like, how do you put 
somebody who has turned on Erica in the cell with Erica, even though you know how grouchy she gets when she's not fed. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe they told her to calm down. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But then we're just going to close out the Erica Jenkins part by saying in 2023, so just a few months ago, the now 31-year-old Erica went to court to change her legal name. She wanted it to be changed from Erica Ashley Jenkins to Illuminati, E-Goddess, Erica, spelled with two Ks, Prestige. No word on if this is going to be allowed to happen. I hope the judge said, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about all of the family members and here's where they wound up. So cousin Christine pleaded guilty to two charges of attempted robbery and the deaths of the two men in the pickup truck, as well as conspiracy for Andrea Kruger's murder. She received a 20-year sentence in prison. And that was really the best they could do, Calf. You know, like she was state's evidence and all, but because of her long criminal history. And she did horrific things. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So she got 20 years. Nico's mom, Lori, was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for being a felon in possession of ammunition because she bought the deer slugs. Then she was found guilty in Nebraska state court for two felony accessory charges stemming from concealing evidence from the murder of the two guys in the pickup truck, as well as providing false information to police about the purchase of ammunition. So she was sentenced to five to six years to be served after she completes her federal sentence of 10 years. Uncle Warren had initially been charged with first-degree murder in Andrea Kruger's death. However, he wound up pleading no contest to accessory to murder and attempted robbery. He was sentenced to 40 years. Because Nico's sisters, Melanie and Lori, cooperated with prosecutors, their charges were dropped. One of the sisters had originally been accused of throwing away one of the weapons, and the other sister was accused of an unrelated crime. But their charges were dropped. Well, and they testified against Erica. Remember, in her trial, they both told the jury that Erica had made the comment about being mad at Nico because he took her kill shot. Right. So four murders over 10 days in the humid summer of 2013 shocked residents of Nebraska and left them demanding answers. Over time, reporters combed public records and history databases and found those answers. People were aghast at the poison that infected this family and multiplied with time. But the collective work of police and prosecutors over the course of four years forced a reckoning of the Levering Jenkins family. Time will tell if future generations will be able to rise above their history. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the story. And remember, please download our episodes. Please. Yes. Download, listen, delete. And like Nebraska Ryan, send us any cases you have. That's right. And join Patreon. 